A little bit about me. Um, I didn't grow up in the church per se, uh, but right around 12 or so, my pops got connected to a faith community. Big shout out to Christian Cultural Center in Brooklyn. And, um, and I wouldn't say that I'm an expert on church culture by any stretch, but I do have some observations. <laughs> church folks uh, have a lot of cliches, have a lot of sayings, right? Here's one, God don't like ugly. <laughs> and I remember uh, watching my mom and dad uh, and, and their friends play bid whist, uh at the kitchen table and talking about, you know, talking about situations and circumstances and people that they knew, gossip, all right? And then... Uh, <laughs> And they would be telling a story about somebody who did something kind of shady, and then something happened to them. Then everybody around the table would look around and go, hmm, God don't like ugly, right? Here's another one. When the praises go up, the blessings come down. Somebody talk to me. And it's, and it's true. That's pretty self-explanatory. I heard that a lot. But here's the, the LeBron James of Christian cliches and churchy sayings. Here's the Michael Jackson of Christian sayings. Won't he do it? (laughs) (laughs) Yo, I'm telling you, that joint has gone worldwide. It's like a part of pop culture, right? Like, I heard a kid find a crayon under the the, the desk. He turned to his mom. He's like, won't he do it, mama? It is, like, incredible. And although uh, these Christian sayings are meant to be kind of tongue-in-cheek, the truth is, unfortunately, the church has offered these as remedies for people in tough situations. And maybe you're, uh, you've been away from church and you're back here for, you know, and, and you're trying to get back in the church, and maybe you've been away because a lot of these sayings were offered to you and you see there was no substance in them and, and you've been discouraged. And although uh, that's the case, today we're going to talk about something. This morning, we're going to talk about something. And at first glance, at a cursory glance, it's going to look like a Christian saying. It's going to look like a cliche. When you hear it, instantaneously, you may think that this is just something that the church is offering out for people as a remedy for tough situations. But it's not. It's not. Today's conversation is not that. Today is actually, this conversation is the opposite of that. Um, It's simple, but it's profound. And, And there's this marriage between the simplicity and the profundity that creates this powerful impact that has a lot of meaning in our life if we apply it. Our scripture this morning is found in 1 Thessalonians 5, chapter 5, verse 18. It says this. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I'm going to read that again. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, before we unpack what it says, I want to talk a little bit about who's saying it. I remember growing up, and if you're anything like me, uh, when you're in high school, there's an aversion to parents. I don't know why that happens, but my parents would tell me things, and I would throw it in the back, uh, in the back of my mind. And then I would hear the very same thing 
from a, a, a mentor or a coach or somebody in my life that I deemed credible. And I think uh, today, this morning, I want us to unpack who's actually writing this. Because here's what I want to ask you. Uh, here's what I want to ask you to do. I want you to resist the temptation to put today's conversation in the cliche box. And one of the ways I think we can resist that temptation to fight against that is if we know who's actually writing it, the credibility of the messenger. And as we dissect that, I hope that we see that this is not just one of those Christian sayings that we're offering out to the world, but this has true, true impact. So the, the book of Thessalonians was written by a, a dude named Paul. We've talked about him here at Renaissance. Um, and, and Paul had this amazing experience with God. It's, he didn't, not everybody has this experience, but he had this 180, this drastic 180 kind of turn of events in his life and began serving God ever since. And Paul is uh, writing this letter, but he's not writing it from like, like as a biblical scholar. He's not writing it as a seminary student. He's not writing it from head knowledge. He's actually writing it from experience. I would imagine he wrote it with, with a lump in his throat as he was actually pinning it, telling the church uh, maybe some things that they would need. He was looking at them as a pastor and how could he care for them? How could he give them? Uh, how could they glean from the wisdom that he's had in life And, and, and so this is the person who's writing it. And Paul, in another letter to another church, he actually gives some background of his experience. He actually lists some things that he has been through. So when you, see, when you hear this in light of what he's actually written, we'll see that it's not a cliche by any stretch. It's found in 2 Corinthians 11, 23 uh, to 28. And listen to what, how Paul describes his experience. And, and here in this letter, he's defending himself uh, against these like false uh, teachers, these people who have said they've crept into the church and say, yo, Paul's not really that dude. And he's like, oh, really? Okay. Listen, I'm about to lay it down for you. Paul says this, I have worked much harder. And I want to stop there because the, the original language really is saying what Paul is trying to say is, uh, I have worked to the point of exhaustion. I've, I've, I have worked two jobs to make sure the financial burden is not placed on the church. So I've been a tent maker also. So that's, that's, let's, get, let's get this clear. Let's, let's make sure the framework is right. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. What, what Paul is getting at here is uh, a lot of times he was accused of things, and part of, he was a part of unlawful trials, and, um, and he was beaten. Uh, this idea of being flogged, uh, it's, it's punishment. It's essentially punishment for uh, criminals. And Paul had gone through this flogging, and, and, and the practice was so crazy that they would take off uh, your, your, your top garment or whatever to make sure your chest and your back was exposed. And they would give you lashes, 13 lashes to your chest, and they would give uh, the 26 lashes, the rest of it, to your back. And, and it was thought that if you, uh, if you beat someone with 40 lashes, you could kill them. So if you beat them with 39, you actually just beat them within an inch of their life. And Paul's saying, this is what has happened to me over and over again. 
He says, five times I've received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods, and the rods here are like billy clubs. Um, I've, he says, uh, three, times, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Being pelted with stones hurts. Like, I don't know if anybody's been pelted with stones. That joint really hurts. <laughs> Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews. Paul was a Jew. His own people hated on him. In danger from Gentiles. Gentiles were the very people that God asked him to go reach, to go share the good news about Jesus to. And they didn't even like him. I've been in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches the mental anguish of all of that as if that wasn't enough, but having to care for all the churches that God had called him to. So when Paul says, and this is why the, the, the understanding who the messenger is is so key for us this morning, because when Paul says give thanks in all circumstances, this is not a cliche. This is not a Christian saying. If anybody uh, is credible enough to tell us why we should give thanks in all circumstances. If anybody is credible, credible enough to, to show us how to give thanks in all circumstances, it's definitely our man Paul. But now, I would be remiss if I didn't stop and pause here. And to be very honest, a room this size, I know for a fact that some of us here are going through tough situations. Some of us are going through some really hard seasons in our life. Maybe it's financial. Uh, maybe it's relational. Uh, maybe it's physical. Maybe life has just hit you with a blow so much that you're kind of like spilling over. And it hurts. And it's hard. And it's rough. And I never want you to think that we're standing up here just speaking from head knowledge, that we're just talking to you. No, this conversation is with you. And there's some of us in here who are going through some really tough, tough times. And here's what I don't want you to hear. I don't want you to hear that God is asking you to take your emotions and your feelings and put them to the side and just figure out a way to thank him. God is not asking you to do that. God knows exactly the situation you're in. See, I'm not here to tell you, um, to give you some super spiritual reason why it's happening. I'm not here to do that. And I'm definitely not here to give you some uh, Christian cliche to, to hold up in your tough season. I'm not here to do that either. But what I do want to share from a place of experience is this one thing I know. God sees you, and he knows you, and he loves you. And God sees every tear. He sees every frustrating thought. He sees all the injustices that happened to you. He sees all the ways things have uh, made you feel empty inside. He sees 
it all. He knows you. He knows how messy it is. He knows you, and he loves you. And I'm reminded of this passage. There's a young, there's a young dude in, the, in, the, in an account in the Bible, and he runs up to Jesus. He has status. He has money. And he runs up to Jesus. He falls on his feet. He says, uh, uh, teacher, good teacher, uh, how do I get inter- eternal life? He basi- he's basically asking, how do I get saved? And him and Jesus run through a conversation. Uh, and, and before Jesus actually asks him to do uh, the tough thing, before he's Uh, Jesus requires something of him. The Bible says this in Mark 10, 21. He turns to him, and the Bible says this. Jesus looked at him, and he loved him. And I want you to know, anyone who's having a tough situation, who's going through a tough season in life, I want you to hear the words of the text. I want you to hear the words of the scriptures. Jesus looks at you, and he loves you. And so what I'm not saying is to throw your emotions and your reality to the side and figure out some way how to thank God. But what we are saying, what we are doing, and as as much as I want to be sensitive, I want to be faithful to the text. I want to be faithful to what Paul is asking us to do. Paul is saying, give thanks in all circumstances, not for all circumstances. It's okay to to cry and mourn about a circumstance that you're in, but Paul is exhorting us. He's encouraging us to give thanks in all circumstances. What if we don't need our circumstances to change? What if it's not that? What if it's us that needs to change? What if there is a tool that could be used to navigate life? I think Paul is saying what he's offering in his years of wisdom, not only to the church at Thessalonica, but to us, he's saying there's a special sauce to life, and it's a life filled with thankfulness. It's a life filled with gratitude, and we have to learn how to give thanks in all amidst the situation. You don't have to give thanks for it, but amidst the situation. Now, I think this is really interesting, and, and for me, uh, this really hits home because uh, I, I wouldn't be myself if I didn't give you an example of how this text actually applies to me. I remember the first time um, I, we were given a car before we were able to buy, before we were able to buy one, my wife and I, a family friend uh, gave us a white Sebring. I used to love that joint. <laughs> and uh, I remember I was, one morning, uh, I got in the car, I ticketed the kids to school, you know what I'm saying? I was lean, leaning a little bit because now I'm in the car. Bada, boot up. <laughs> Baby, bada, boot up. Right? I'm, I'm ready to go to school, got the kids with me, I'm driving. All of a sudden, the car, the, the steering wheel literally locks. Now, I'm on the FDR drive. The, the steering wheel literally locks. I cannot turn it. I can accelerate, I can brake, but I cannot move the steering wheel. And so, you know, as the G that I am, the good father that I am, I don't let my kids know they're talking to me. They're like, Daddy, so that... I'm like, mm-hmm, Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know what to do. And look, I'm not Lawrence, you know what I'm saying? But I'm strong. <laughs> like, I could move, I can, I'm like, I can move stuff, but I literally could not move 
the steering wheel at all. So the point guard in me kicks in. I look out my peripheral, and I see there's like a parking spot over on the side, uh, uh, off, right off the FDR. So somehow, speaking about uh, cliches, I was like, Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> somehow... <laughs> I muscle that joint over. Every time I'm leaning, I feel like the car's leaning too. That probably wasn't true. But I, I get the car over into the parking spot, close the car up, get, on, get in a cab, get the kids to school. Um, I go to work. After work, I come back. And now I get back to the car, and I see a ticket on it. I'm like, this is messed up. This is wrong. This is injustice, you know? The black man, you know what I'm saying? I'm like... But I look at the, I look and I, and I realize that the city set me up. The hydrant, the fire hydrant was all the way back here. It wasn't close to the, to the curb. So I didn't know that there was a fire hydrant there. That's probably why the parking spot was open, right? <laughs> so I get the ticket. I look at the ticket. I'm like, dang, I, I feel like the day could not get any worse. So I call the tow company. I'm like, this probably is going to be the last of it. The tow company, the dude, uh, he's like, um, you're on the FDR. I'm like, no, I'm not. He's like, you're on, the, my GPS says you're on the FDR. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm on the side of the FDR. Like, I'm not on the FDR. So I finally get the driver on the phone. I run to the corner, wave the driver down. I'm like, yo, come around. Like, I'm, I'm over here. I'm not on the FDR. Cool. So now I'm headed back to the car to get in the car to, you know, to get towed and get everything ready. But I step in some dog mess. Right? I said the same thing. <laughs> Yo, I had my Cole Hans on, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, yo, this messed up. They weren't three grand. They were like $200. I got them on discount. My Cole Hans are all messed up. But yo, I really, I, it wasn't like a just step in it and like you wipe it off. I did like a Michael Jackson slide on that joint. <laughs> like I slid all it. I was doing plies and all that stuff. I, yo, it was like very disheartening for me. It was a troubling moment. I actually get the guy on the phone, he, told, he gets me told, and we figure it out. We get the car fixed. It was in that moment where it actually hit me, though. And literally, I, I called Jordan. Jordan is a witness. I literally called him and was like, yo, but yo, I thank God for this situation. I'm thankful for this situation because, like, this, in light of everything else that's happening, like, this is small. This is but a light affliction. Like, here's, here's practically what began to happen, no lie. I actually thought to myself, yo, um, I actually had money to take care of the situation. And if you know how my bank account is set up, you know what I'm saying, that's not always, right? I actually, I had, I, I had the opportunity to, to take care of what needed to be taken care of. The place that was going to fix the car was literally up the block from where I, I illegally parked. Um, my kids got to school. There was no accident, right? And I'm not saying, please don't hear me. I'm not saying, oh, it could have been worse stuff. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying in the midst of the situation, the things that I needed to be thankful for overwhelmed me. And they actually allowed me, it actually changed me. My situation is still the same. My situation stayed exactly the same, but it changed my day. I actually went home joyful. Me and Heather didn't get into a fight at all. Like, I was actually good because thankfulness changed my day. But Paul is saying thankfulness could change your life. Thankfulness can change your life. And I think what Paul is getting at is that there is a secret sauce 
to life. And it's being filled with thankfulness. Here's what else I know. Thankfulness is the hallmark of the Christian life. Thankfulness is the hallmark of the Christian life. See, what I hope happens this morning is that your mind is changed, that your mind is renewed. Thankfulness is the hallmark of the Christian life. See, Christians should be the most thankful people on the planet. Why? Why should Christians be the most thankful people on the planet? You know why? Because at the root of being a Christian is the gospel of grace. It's this idea that uh, we were far off. We were dead and we were actually rescued and brought back to life. We weren't just good people who needed some sprinkling of God. We were dead people who needed to be rescued and revitalized and brought back to life. And Jesus did that on the cross for you and for me. We define the gospel here at Renaissance as this, unconditional love. Love with no limitations. Love with no parameters. Two, undeserving people, you and I, people who didn't earn it, didn't deserve it. From an unobligated giver. God had no obligation to rescue us, but he did so anyway. The gospel, as we know it here at Renaissance, is this, unconditional love to undeserving people from an unobligated giver. Here are the facts. You and I go to God bankrupt. There's a price that needs to be paid. There's a debt, and, and we don't have the means to pay for it, and God pays for it with the blood of Jesus on our behalf. And so it's with that as the backdrop that Christians need to be the most thankful people on the planet. We need to always remember that our relationship with God was a gift. There was nothing in and of ourselves that we could have done to obtain it. And when you realize how far off you were, and then you realize what God did to bring us back, it is there where thankfulness begins. It's there where we are to begin Wearing thankfulness, smelling like thankfulness. The world should interact with Christians and they should taste and see that the Lord is good. That, that is what Paul is getting at here. That's why this is not a Christian cliche by any stretch. But when we talk about thankfulness, what are we talking about? What are we saying? What do we mean when we say thankfulness? I read an interesting article in the Greater Good magazine. Here's a quote. Research has proven that gratitude, a.k.a. thankfulness, is essential for happiness. <laughs> On Instagram, my wife and I were talking. We saw this. She saw this quote, told me about it. It says, it's not happy people that are thankful. It's thankful people that are happy. Research has proven that gratitude, a.k.a. thankfulness, is essential for happiness. But modern times have regressed gratitude into a mere feeling instead of retaining its historic value. Virtue, a virtue that leads to action. Just as great philosophers conclude in their writings, gratitude is an action of returning a favor and is not just a sentiment. By the same token, ingratitude or the lack of being thankful or the lack of having gratitude is the failure to both acknowledge receiving a favor and refusing to return or repay the favor. Just as gratitude is the queen of the virtues, ingratitude is the king of the vices. See, one of the ways for us to understand thankfulness is to talk about what it's not. 
Thankfulness is not a fuzzy feeling when someone does something nice for you. Gratefulness, generally, excuse me, generally thankfulness is outward reflecting. It is about the other person, and the lack of being thankful has self written all over it. The focus is you, and you feel, uh, you feel like everything is owed to you, and so you fail to to see the thankfulness in this, to be thankful in this situation. The reason thankfulness is so important and the reason we see it as a command in Scripture is because God wants you and I to be more outward focused than self-absorbed. It's so easy for us to be so self-absorbed. But I'm going to let the Bible talk to us for a little bit. I love this passage because it, it gives us the juxtaposition between gratitude and, and thankfulness and ingratitude. Listen to this in Luke, my man Luke in chapter 17. Verse 11 through 19, start at verse 11. It says this, Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. And I love how this shows both sides. The man that realized he was healed came back praising God. He acknowledged what he received, and he, an action ensued. He, he went back and actually began praising God as a result. He knew he could not be healed. He knew in and of himself he didn't have the ability to cleanse himself from leprosy. And just so we know, the context here, leprosy was the catch-all for all types of skin diseases. And generally, if people, um, maybe they had one or two spots, but somewhere in the text it says that people were covered in leprosy. That means it took years for the leprosy to grow. And essentially, they were ostracized. Lepers were ostracized. They could not be a part of civilization. If they drank from a cup, that cup would be unclean. Anybody who came back and drank from that cup, they would be deemed unclean. So it was unlawful for lepers to even be a part of society. This is why Luke tells us, one of the details Luke gives us is Luke says they had to yell at Jesus from a distance. They couldn't even be close. And so this man, he knew, he realized his, the helplessness of his situation, and he knew he was helpless but not hopeless. He knew that if this was Je- if Jesus, uh, the man who had been doing all these healings, if anybody could heal him, it was him. And as he walked away and received healing, he turns back and he gives praises to Jesus. He gives praises to God. And it's this, I'm telling you, that, that we actually, uh, it's actually us. We are, you and I are the leper. We're the ones who were stuck in a helpless situation. We look around and we're cleansed. And the only right thing we could do is go back and, and throw ourselves in submission to Jesus. It's with that backdrop that believers, that Christians, 
should be the most thankful people in the world. The most thankful people on the planet should be Christians. Thankfulness is the hallmark of the Christian life. But what makes practicing thankfulness hard? What makes us be the nine? <laughs> Why are we more commonly the nine than we are the one? What, what obstructs our vision? Here's a couple thoughts. Here's one. One, I think, is the loss of the, we lose perspective. We lose our perspective. Let's face it. Um, life's situations are overwhelming. They can overwhelm us at times. I remember um, my wife and I, when we gave birth to, well, when she gave birth, but I was, I was there. I was there. I was there. Axel, who's number four of four, um, my wife actually had a bad reaction to the epidural, and uh, she was bedridden for like the first three months of Axel's life. And so we had to figure out formula. I, we had to figure out how to feed him. I had to figure out how to, how to live and how to be sensitive to her and how not to be angry at the situation. And I had to care, figure out how to care for Axel and not be mad at him because, I mean, he's a newborn. I mean, he doesn't know life, and I got to care for him. I had to figure out how to get to work, to work with teenagers and actually come home to teenagers I mean, it was, it was a lot. It was overwhelming. And I promise you, I lost my perspective. The only thing I could think about on a daily basis was how do I survive? How do I get through the next day? Uh, there's no way. I, and look, I'm going to be honest. There, in this circumstance, I didn't feel there was anything to be thankful for. And that's a real place. And that makes uh, the practice of thankfulness in our lives very difficult. When we lose perspective and, and Paul doesn't want us to lose perspective here, but it happens, and that's what makes it difficult. And I think there's, there's two other nuances to, to that contribute to us losing perspective. One of them is comparison. Uh, you might be really excited uh, that you took your family. Okay, this is me. I took my family uh, on, a, on, a, on a trip, and we went to Disneyland, and I thought it was great. And I'm like, yo, that's cool. I check on Instagram, and I see someone took their family to Rome. You know what I'm saying? On points. And I'm like, yo, the my joy, kilt, easy, right? Like, yo, and I lost perspective. I wasn't thankful that we had matching shirts in Disneyland. I couldn't be, I couldn't be all the way in. Because, yo, in comparison, I lost my perspective. And then I, I think there's another nuance. It's distraction. And yo, let's face it, as New Yorkers, as Americans, we're distracted often. And some of us, let's be honest, we're making mountains out of molehills. Like we're traveling down things, we're splitting hairs on everything, and it's consuming our life. And we're distracted and we lose perspective, and it blinds us from being able to see how to live a life of thankfulness. Where in the situation could we extract thankfulness? Here's the second Point. And the second reason I think uh, it's hard for us to, um, to live and practice thankful lives, it's entitlement. It's this idea that life owes us something. This, and especially as Americans, we feel like everything should happen our way. Um, 
early on in my, in my time, like becoming a Christian, I, I, I absolutely used to think when bad stuff happened or, or tough things happened in my life, I was like, yo, this is not supposed to be. Like, there's no way. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I've qualified to be a good enough person that I should live a pain-free life. And if you're anything like me, I want you to ask yourself this question, just as I had to ask myself this question. What is it about me that, that gives me the audacity to feel like I should have a pain-free life? Like, like, think about this. Like, really stop and think if Jesus gave his life for us, if God decided that we were precious enough to send his only begotten son to lose his life on our behalf, what more do you need? What else is it? What more do you need to add to your life? It's this sense of entitlement that stops us, that blinds us, that robs us from being able to see thankfulness in all circumstances. And here's the last one, and I think this one touches everybody in the room. I think we're all, we have a tendency to be addicted to complaining. We complain. Yeah. Talk about it. Come on. Here's a cliche. Nah, I'm not going to say it, but tell the truth. Shame the devil. I, could, I couldn't resist. But here's the truth. We're addicted to complaining. It's easy. I mean, some of us, like, just, we, we just complain. Um, we... we it becomes, it's so natural to us, and it's natural, like sometimes it's, it's really natural to actually uh, try to vent about things, but are we just venting, or are we subconsciously, unconsciously just complaining about everything? Like, I, re- I remember going to get AJ, uh, my second son, my, my oldest son, uh, to get him from school, and I went to hop on the Q train, and I went and I looked up at the sign that told us how long the, you know, it would take for the train to come. And it says seven minutes. And I was like, the audacity. <laughs> like, seven minutes. I don't have seven minutes. Like, the train needs to come quicker than that. And, yo, like, we, we complain about the train system. But do we know it's the most sophisticated of all cities? There is no city that has a robust MTA system, transit, metro system, like New York. But we are so easy, it's so easy for us to complain, and there's actually science that backs this up. There's science that proves all of this stuff. Our brains have a collection of receptors, and whenever you have a thought, one receptor shoots across the empty space to another receptor, and then it begins to build this bridge. So in essence, the brain is rewiring itself, making that action, the action of complaining, easier. Your brain is actually rewiring itself so that the next time you want to complain, it's actually easier. And these are the things that blind us, that obstruct our view from seeing the benefits of thankfulness in our life. Still, as hard as it is, Paul is saying to you and I, Paul has given us the secret sauce of life. Paul is saying, give thanks 
in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. See, thankfulness is the hallmark of the Christian life. Paul is not saying give thanks for all circumstances. He's saying you and I need to learn. You and I need to, 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 to develop this tool that we can then navigate life, that we can approach any life situation with thankfulness on our belts. And we can bring it out when necessary. Paul is encouraging us to know that, to feel that, to believe that. Here's what I want you to walk away from with this message. Thankfulness is a skill. Thankfulness is a skill. Thankfulness is a habit. It's a practice that you need to inculcate in your life. There is no shortcut to it. You just have to do it. You actually have to do it. You have to practice it. The times that I wanted to develop as a basketball player, me making left-hand layups wasn't going to come until I actually put it in practice. I could think about it. People told me it would be necessary, but I would never be able to actually do it until I practiced it. Thankfulness is a skill. It's a tool to better navigate life. And Paul is saying that's the secret sauce for you to learn how to be in situations and to, to have this tool to be able to uh, extract the thankfulness within the situation. The same way that our brains can rewire itself so that complaining is easier, it's the same way your brain can rewire itself so you can be thankful more, so that you can be thankful in daily situations. And I'm telling you, this, this, this hit me uh, as, I think it, as I was thinking about it. I actually, uh, in preparing for the message, I was just trying to practice it, and it's hard, but it's real. The benefits of it are so rich Maybe we don't need our situations and circumstances to change. Maybe it's us. Maybe we can change amidst the circumstances. And here's what some of us, maybe some of us need to tell our friends, you know what? Uh, when you hear me complaining, you need to stop me in mid-sentence. You need to just tell me, yo, chill. Uh, actually replace that thought with a thought of thankfulness. Stop me in mid-sentence. I give you permission. Give somebody the permission in your life to actually do that. Maybe some of us need to take out our phones and actually write down the things that we're thankful for. Not, not whether you're, maybe you're just chilling. You're not in a tough situation and everything is not jubilee. Maybe you're just chilling. And, and every time something thankful comes to mind, why don't you write it down? And then at the end of the week, go back and check your list. At the end of the month, go back and check your list. At the end of the year, go back and check your list. And I promise you, the receptors, as the bridge is being built, you'll become more thankful. And my hope this morning is that we actually become more thankful people. Because it's a life of thankfulness that speaks to the world way more than our words. People should taste and see that the Lord is good because Christians need to be the most thankful people on the planet. I want to close with a prayer, uh, with a prayer for us. I want to pray this over us. Thank you, God, for the times you have said no. They have helped me depend on you so much more. Thank you, God, for unanswered prayer. It reminds me that you know what's best for me even when my opinion differs from yours. 
Thank you, Lord, for the things you have withheld from me. You have protected me from what I may never realize. Man, that's true. Thank you, God, for the doors you have closed. They have prevented me from going where you would rather not have me go. Thank you, God, for the uncertainties I've experienced. They have deepened my trust in you. Thank you, Lord, for the times you came through for me when I didn't even know I needed a rescue. Thank you, Lord, for the losses I have experienced. They have been a reminder that you are my greatest gain. Thank you, God, for the tears I have shed. They have kept my heart soft and moldable. Thank you, God, for the times I haven't been able to control my circumstances. They have reminded me that you are sovereign, that you are in control of all, and you are on the throne. Thank you, God, for those people in my life who you have called home to be with you. Their absence from this earth keeps my heart longing for heaven. The Christian is able to look down the corridor of time and see life with God in eternity. And that is our hope. That is why we live thankful lives. Thank you, God, for the righteousness you've credited toward me through the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's a righteousness I could never earn or attain on my own. Thank you, Father, that you know me, you hear me, and you see my pain. Remind me through difficult times that you are God. You are on the throne, and you are eternally good. In Jesus' name, amen.